now time for the leader to qualify. Please stand so they can hear you. I'll do the best I can. My name is Lynn. I'm a compulsive overeater. I've been coming to OA since February 23rd, 1976. If you were at the uh, newcomers meeting at Beverly Hills High School, you may remember me, although I weighed considerably a lot more than I weigh now. I weighed about 80, 85 pounds more than I do now. I weighed 300 pounds. I loved the meeting. I bought a gray sheet for a dime. Practiced it for a year and a half. Lost 115 pounds. You'd think there was smoke rising. It was so terrific. Got on the intergroup. Became delegate to all kinds of world service and everything else, etc. And 15 years later, I was back up to 260. Started again with a new sponsor on March 21st, 1991, I guess it is. So I'm abstaining for 27 years, maintaining 80-pound, 85-pound weight loss. Anyway, I was born early in the last century. Herbert Hoover was president when I was born. That means I, that means I was born before 1932. Anyway, I admit to 87 years old. One, I'm proud of my parents' genes. Two, everybody tells me that I look wonderful. Thank you for that. And three, a lot of people I know from back then are dead. <laughs> and one of the things about me in OA is I've probably gone to more OA funerals Maybe then the room all put together. I don't know, but I just all of the great, wonderful people that were here in OA that were administering the steps and giving advice and whatever. I kind of buried them all, but that's one of the realities. I've also gone to a lot of funerals of people who didn't pass things on, didn't work the steps, didn't do it so well. I went to their funerals too, but. <clears throat> They were 45, 50, 55, 60, etc. Jack is nodding. Of course, I've seen Jack a lot of those funerals, too. Anyway, thank you for coming. I was uh, born in New York City. My father may have been one of the first yuppies. <laughs> because every time I made friends, we seemed to move to a nicer place or a place with another bedroom. Uh, I used to say that every time I touched a girl on the breast, we moved, or so it seemed to me, <laughs> in, my, in my young life. Uh, food was, the family was very close. Family is still very close. They're strewn all over the world, all over the country, <clears throat> but we're still very, very close. In fact, I'm looking forward to going to my cousin's 80th birthday party next year in the Bay Area, and if you tell them, it's a surprise. <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you his name. Anyway, food was always the good thing. I was one of these kids. We didn't have a little league yet. We didn't have all these organized things. So we played ball on the street for hours and hours and hours. And I was fed much as I wanted. Kept eating, kept working it off, etc. My first resentment, food-oriented resentment, was the fact that my older brother, five years older than me, we went to the same school and one of us would carry the lunchbox every day, and he always got the big sandwich. And I swore that when the day came and I had control, 
I would get the big sandwich. <laughs> and by the time I came back from military service in 1954, I had weighed 40 pounds more than I had weighed when I left for military service. And so my family sent me to the local doctor who treated me to the greatest gift I've ever received in my life. He put me on speed. <laughs> and for 14 years, I was off and on speed. And when I was on it, I was young and gorgeous. And when I was off it, my mother would always say, he didn't gain weight eating what I fed him. <laughs> my wife later said the same thing, etc. So I had several major diets where I lost up to and over 100 pounds. Always dieted well. Uh, came out here in 1972 to get out of my marriage and for a job in broadcasting. And I immediately boomed up, got up to 300 pounds. And I in 1976 was a real mess. I remember going to Las Vegas for the weekend of uh, Washington's birthday. And I came back, taking a woman we had a terrible weekend. We fought, right? I ate at every truck wagon, whatever it was, etc. I was bow-legged and I said, today I'm going to do something with my weight. Today I'm going to go back to this commercial program. I had great success in New York. By the way, I had shots twice. Once in New York and once in Los Angeles. The only difference is Broadway stars in the New York doctor's office, Hollywood stars on the Hollywood doctor's office. Other than that, same stuff, same place, same result, same cost, etc. Anyway, on February 23rd, 1976, I got a letter from my brother. My brother had been my higher power for many years, if there was such a thing. And he said, if you're ever going to get your head out of your ass and uh, come to light, I was only 44 and two-thirds years of age, why don't you try Overeaters Anonymous? It's supposed to be pretty good. Well, if my brother said try Overeaters Anonymous, I didn't walk. I ran. I made calls. I found out that the World Service of Overeaters Anonymous was on Motor Avenue in Palms. You can look it up, 1976. I lived on Vinton Avenue in Palms, one block from the Overeaters World Service office. One of my huge resentments was that I always had to carry lunch to school while other kids could go home. And here I was a block from this my next diet. But I got on the phone and found I had to go to the Beverly Hills High School newcomers meeting, which I did on February 23rd, 1976. And I walked in, I found out I was a something. I was a compulsive overeater. How do I know that? That's what they all said. How did I really know it? Because people were talking about problems that I had. This guy at work called me a so-and-so, and was I pissed off at this son of a bitch? I wanted to kill him, but I ate a hamburger instead. <laughs> I walked in at 9 o'clock in the morning fuming, and the truck didn't come till 10.30. The coffee truck didn't come. I went nuts for an hour and a half, etc. And the stories went on. My marriage was this. My job was that. My money is this, etc. 
And all of a sudden I found myself saying, where the hell has this been all of my life? And the best part, there was a commercial years ago about you go to a small town in Europe and you look in the phone book and you see 20 people with the same last name as you. And you thought you were the only person in the world with the whole name. And that's how I felt at Overeaters Anonymous. Everybody was a relative. Everybody was telling me a story. Everybody was telling my story and I could relate to them and I said, I am home. At the end of the newcomers meeting, I went up to the leader of the meeting and I said, what is this Godship? <laughs> she said, there's recovery here. Don't look for what's wrong with this place. Look for what's right with this place. That guy over there used to weigh 300 pounds and he doesn't weigh 300 pounds and hasn't for two years. That's what this meeting is about. So, I bought my gray sheet and did what I did in those days better than anything in my life. I went on a diet. And two weeks later, everybody was, I went to probably 10 meetings first week and everybody was talking about sponsor and I said, I better get a sponsor. I'll pick the secretary. He must be a big shot. <laughs> well, God picked that one because this guy... We just talked about things I didn't talk about with other guys. I didn't pay to talk to other guys that I didn't pay him to listen. <laughs> and about three, four months later, he said, "Well, you're doing well. You're losing weight. You're, yeah, the women are calling you. It's wonderful." Uh, you know, we have twelve steps. I said, yeah. We have a big book. I said, yeah, but that costs $6.25, and I don't have $6.25 in discretionary money. I went fishing that weekend. I went on a fishing boat, got into a poker game, won $6.25. And I figured, maybe there is something to this. And so I bought my first big book. It was the second edition. You've seen it. I've used it in OA shows. Anyway. So what else? I told you that I got very involved in intergroup. Got very involved. I'm the guy who created the birthday party, if you want to blame anybody. Yeah. Um, and got very involved with all of these things. But took care of everything. Got married. Got divorced. Got into a relationship. Off and on, it's only been, we've only been living together 35 years. We, great story. We aided a first date, we aided a place that went out of business and became a dentist's office. And this year it went back to being a restaurant and we went for our anniversary. And I told the waitress the story, she cried. Anyway, I hooked up with a sponsor. Uh, with a couple of sponsors and finally uh, in uh, we had a great men's meeting on Monday night Michael remembers he was there Jeff probably was there we had at least got 30 guys coming through a Monday night meeting and I asked one of the guys from the valley to be my sponsor and we decided to start over again and this guy it's a number guy first thing he said to me he says I want you to write Ten things you're grateful for. So I wrote ten things I'm grateful for. 
He says, now put it in your shirt drawer. It may still be there. I don't know. <laughs> I got the same shirt drawer. Not the same shirts, but the same shirt drawer. But, again, what I'm grateful for, things that I'm grateful for, hung on gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. He was a number guy. It's like, page 655. I don't handle these things well. Thank you, Victor. But I complain about something and say page 558. Read where it says, We are taught to differentiate between our wants, which are never satisfied, and our needs, which are always provided for. We cast off the burdens of the past, anxieties of the future, and we begin to live in the present one day at a time. We are granted the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, and thus lose our quickness to anger and our sensitivity to criticism. Now, I read this book 30 times or something at that time, and I never saw that before. So, you, know, you know, I mean, it's that type of thing. You know, you, somebody says, read page so-and-so. And you say, wait a minute, this is new. You know, I, I have this book 40 years. I never read But this is how these things would go. I mean, he would mention all these things to me, etc. I know I don't get to this meeting very often, but somebody always asks about resentment, which is surprising because so few of us who work the program have resentment. Adam is still pissed off at me for calling him from the Washington Not me to take your inventory. Uh, but some guy really, I don't know what the circumstance was. I was getting a ride home, and while we were in the ride, he said something which really, really hurt me. Really hurt me. And I said to myself, boy, I'm really pissed at so-and-so. This is what happened. I said, well, and he said this and that. And he said, uh, you want to spend the weekend with him? I said, no. He says, well, that's what you're doing. I, I talked to the man now. That's only 15 years ago. Only 15 years ago, whatever it is, I still talk to the man. We're okay with it. But I had to do a lot of blessing. I had to do a lot of blessing. My friend John over here reminded me, I talked about this men's stag we used to go to, this guy named Bob, and anyone would talk about their relationship troubles, or their boss troubles, or the whatever the troubles. And this guy would say, remember where you met him. And generally, the thing that helps me with, with uh, resentments is I remember where I met the person. Now, I'm not talking to this group because this is obviously the elite group. <laughs> but when you say remember where you met them, I can only suggest to you remember where you met them. I don't know. What else am I talking about? This morning, yesterday, my wife and I uh, manage a building. Uh, we just rented two bedrooms. Twenty. Six. Ninety-five. Uh, our husband owns the building, I'm sure. Whatever. Anyway. Two bedrooms must have like twenty-six ninety-five. I, I don't know where it comes from. But anyway, we try to be cordial. With 17 families, 16 families besides us, you try to be cordial. 
Why? Because it's easier that way. You know, you don't come, ah, I found Chinese garbage. It must be you. You know, you, you can't pull stuff like that anymore. But one of our neighbors was really letting her daughter have it. And it was out in the hall and we all knew the story, etc. And, and uh, Laura went to the woman and, and said, you know, you're awfully loud. And the woman was embarrassed and she got quiet. Knock on the door yesterday. Take a brown ring. Take. Thank you very much. I, did I tell you I met my wife in Owen? <laughs> anyway, so there's the cake. Now, everybody is shocked. Everybody's horrified. How are you going to handle this, etc.? A, one of the things that makes our relationship work is that we, A, don't eat each other's food. We don't comment on each other's food. We don't go to a restaurant and nobody says, you're going to order that? <laughs> we mind our own business and we don't eat each other's food. Other comment. I'm 30 years a diabetic. I won't say I haven't eaten any cake in 30 years, but let me tell you, I haven't eaten a lot of cake. I haven't eaten very much cake. So, a brown, brown cake sitting overnight in my house doesn't really amount to much, but I'm using it because I'm speaking at an OA meeting and it happened yesterday. This morning, she cut out a piece and she took it as she went out to get coffee. She's going to have it with coffee. I don't know where the rest of the cake is. I'm not going to look for it. I'm not going to find it by accident. Not my cake, etc. Why? No big red S on my chest. I'm not Superman. Is that me? Thank you very Thank God. Um, <laughs> You know, I, A, don't eat her cake. B, it's for me. Somebody gave me a present for Christmas. We had a Christmas party work. Gave me a, a can of peanut brittle. I said, the perfect, the perfect gift for a diabetic with false teeth. <laughs> My teacher loved it. My teacher, because I'm 87 years old, I go to Emeritus College, which is a school in Santa Monica. I take four classes. I take two creative writing classes. I may, I may someday publish, self-publish my book of short stories. I may not. I take a singing class. I take a, uh, an acting class. I still write my own sketches, and we have a performance once, twice a year. It keeps me alive. It keeps me out of the house. It keeps me from watching Bob Barker. But Bob Barker hasn't done that show in ten years. <laughs> anyway, it, it keeps me active. Now, I said at the very, my first meeting, I asked the woman, what is this Godship? And I can talk to friends. I have friends, 30-year friends in this room, and we can all talk about this Godship. And some people can describe and draw pictures, and other people can say, he's there, she's there, it's there, whatever it is. So I don't know what God is, but I know that I didn't make the sun come up this morning. It was there. If you did it, Victor, thank you. <laughs> if John, when he was preparing the coffee, did it, thank you. So that there is a power greater 
than myself. There is a power, be it nature, be it whatever it is. Do I call him God? Yes. Do I think put him as a masculine? Yes, because I am a man. And besides, I had a lot of problems working out with my mother. And I, for the first five years of my life, I thought she might have been my higher power. I don't know if I, if I would have asked those things. So... I'm pretty set in my life at this point. I'm well retired. I keep busy. As my friends say a lot, do I see doctors? Oh, this is one of the gifts of Medicare and Obamacare and whatever care, etc. Do I see doctors? And they love to refer you to their friends. I think all doctors are building swimming pools or they own boats or whatever it is. I, I don't know because you immediately say, hello, how are you, doctor? He says, oh, you better come back in 30 days, you know. <laughs> Take one of these and call me in the morning. Anyway, I speak to my sponsor every day. If I have a tenth step, I read it to him. I tell him what I'm going to eat. And by the grace of God, I eat it most of the time. Sometimes, like tomorrow night, I'm going out with family. And I'll say, I'm going out to family. I don't know where we're eating. But I'm going to take care of myself. And that's takes care of it, and I take care of myself. Uh, if I ever, and I was last asked in 1978 at this meeting when it was still over on the other street, to uh, at my, my abstinence, and I gave a big long answer about not eating for guilt and not eating for anger and whatever. But my answer today would be, it's a deal with God. I plan for what I'm going to eat. I tell my sponsor, and that's what I eat, and that's my abstinence. What I get in return from the de- from the deal, it's enough. I don't get cravings. I get cravings. I got tools to do. I got tools. I got writing to do. I got talking to do. I got whatever to do, because it's abnormal behavior at this point in my life, where it was the only way I lived the first fifteen, twenty, whatever years of my life. So I don't know what else I have to say. I don't know if I have anything to say for anybody. A long time ago, I met a 28-year-old girl in an OA meeting who said she was in at 14. And that being, when you're in, when you're in as long as you are out, it's a big deal. And next year, I'm going to be in as long as I was out. And I can't wait to see what the surprise is. Anyway, (laughs) thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Yes, ma'am. Would I talk more about eating with my family? Well, eating with my family is an 87-year experience. (laughs) And how I ate when my grandparents were alive is one thing, and how I eat now as the grandfather is another thing. And my daughter-in-law, who my son met in OA does things for Thanksgiving 
you don't want to know. But they also know of my OA experience, so they don't force things on me. They make a lot of things without sugar. She's got issues with gluten. She does fantastic things. I usually commit to my sponsor for, like, say, Thanksgiving or Passover. I'm going to have one of each, but something or other. But nothing that I don't eat. When I was young, it was an issue. Because it wasn't an issue, it was a reward for being alive. Because they loved me and they gave me things, etc. When I hit the transition, I came to program, I was already 45 years old. And when they said, oh, take it, you'll love it, it won't hurt you. When I was young and new and away and defiant, I said, it'll probably kill me. But later on I said, no thanks, I'm allergic, it's not good for me, my stomach is troubled when I do that, etc. I hope that answers your question. What is your current or recent consumption of a higher power? Uh, nature. Nature. Nature has given me this much life, shown me these many sunsets, this much rain, this little rain, whatever. But they're giving me. Yes? I hit a couple of meetings a week. Um, I speak to my sponsor in the morning. If I have any sponsees and I don't lately because I'm never home, uh, I get them to call it in the uh, morning. I wake up in the morning, I take a pill, got to take 30, day, 30 minutes before a meal. In those 30 minutes, I get my meditation in. When I go to bed at night, if I cannot fall immediately to sleep, I'm back to the paper with the 10th step, which I share in the morning when I speak to my sponsor. I get to a meeting, I try to be loving. Try not to talk dirty anymore, try not to gossip anymore. Yes. Well, how many people here are here because they've had some manner of difficulty in their life? Remember where you met them. Okay? I mean, I've just found in 42 years of being around here that we are angrier we have feelings which may or may not be which may be erroneous may not be they're not my feelings that you have etc and so with sometimes walking a very fragile path we maybe have to be a little kinder and more considerate but when we get to talk about you Remember where you met him. I hope that answers your question. Yes, anybody. Sir? How has your abstinence changed as you've gotten older? I eat a hell of a lot less. Uh, we went out, as I said, for my anniversary the other day. I had half of it there and half of it the next day. So, I eat oatmeal with berries every morning. Measured amount. But I eat a hell of a lot less than I ever ate before. 
That's all I can tell you. That I don't know if that's spiritual or health. Yes. Um, can you talk about your daily routine? Well, I wake up. Um, I wake up. <laughs> My wife and I have a conversation on how much the cat ate. Uh, I uh, take the first of my pills I go somewhere else and I meditate then when I finish meditating get ready to take my other pills I make my breakfast I have my breakfast sometimes my wife and I have meaningful dialogue sometimes we ignore each other sometimes we clean up after the cat you know I mean it's stuff like that call my sponsor at, at 7.10 I read for today before we talk and then we talk about for today and then I plan on having planned before what I'm going to eat for the next couple of days because I'm in on the shopping and what's in the house and whether we're going to have turkey burger or, or, or whatever it may be and then I uh, probably shower, get out of the house, go to school, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. Ellie. Thank you, Liz. Really appreciate that. You, it seems from the outside of what I heard that you have a life of contentment most of the time and serenity. Would you talk about your life today vis-a-vis? The nine step promises? Well, uh, I'm not wealthy, but I live within my means. Managing the building makes it a lot easier for us than it used to a long time ago. So that's not a problem. I gave up driving eight, ten years ago. So I travel by bus. I have a lot of time to meditate, a lot of time to get resentments, a lot of time to remember where I met them. Uh, Etc. Uh, I have some unbelievable. I have uh, good health for an 87 year old, according to my 17 doctors. <laughs> o- only six. Only six. Um, I'm really having a difficult time with the political statement political atmosphere where I live it's a very angry time and I'm feeling it and I'm feeling things that I have not felt in a long time Uh, however I'm aware of what I'm powerless over and I'm aware of what donations I can make and I have found that although my wife is very very much into keeping the news channels on at all times I have to go into another room and watch a Perry Mason rerun <laughs> because I cannot handle the, what they're calling reality today so I have a relationship with my son which I did not have a relationship with 40 odd years ago my granddaughter tells me that she loves me which is good for me my daughter-in-law who I also met in OA and was in a show with uh, what's in where was she where'd she go She's gone. Uh, Laban, yeah. Uh, Luanda. Uh, anyway, uh, we have a good relationship, so I uh, 
tread very lightly with the other people within the building. I'm very, very careful to take uh, a ninth step when necessary. Try to stay out of trouble. Keep my nose clean. Thank you. Sir. You made a page reference in the big book. I wonder if you mind sharing it again. Do you, do you want me to share with page five? This is the fourth. 559. 559. However, there is a great line on page 43, which he also reminded me. Bottom of 43, more about alcoholism. Once more, the alcohol is at certain times has no effective mental defense against first drink, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. And, John, I lost the place. Hmm? Anything else? Sir, young man. Jeez, <laughs> come from Texas. All I can say is, once you get the first hand, it's out. It's about it. But anyway, um, the, can you kind of go over that, what happened, like, you, when you started over, did you consider yourself absent up to that point, and then you talked to your sponsor, and they said, oh, I started over, or what, did you not consider yourself absent? And then you started Well, if I was starting the conversation, it wouldn't come up. <laughs> if you started the conversation, I might hem and haw. I didn't give it a lot of thought. Because I wasn't weighing myself. My first sponsor said, don't make the scale a higher power. So I never weighed myself. Then I went to the doctor, found out I had diabetes, found out I was, you know, back to 250. Bulletin, 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 as we used to say in the radio business. <laughs> I hope that answers your question. Sir. Did you ever relapse? And if you did, how Yes, that's what we were just talking about. After 15 years, I started over again. But I never left away. I mean, part of, part of the fact that I came, from Calif- came here from New York to California and three years later started in OA, I kind of was my family and my social base, etc. Although I still have outside friends, work friends, etc. But I was always a part of OA. John. I just want to ask you about uh, how services played a part in recovery. Well, I, uh, it's, in the beginning I did it because you did it. When the intergroup started in 75, I came in in 76, and it six months abstinence. They had 14 seats on the board because they only had 14 people who were six months abstinence. <laughs> uh, but I did traveling all over California, met people, got active, became, developed my writing craft through service, etc. So I have fond memories of service, but I did more than I need, and it's important. 
Am I done? Five oh, five minutes. Yes, my dear. Um, what is the main cause of your relapse? Uh, not, take, not working the program. I mean, being here, doing everything, emceeing the talent shows and the, the what you call it, creating things for OA, etc., but uh, not really taking ten steps, not really... Uh, yeah. That is the main answer. Adam. Thanks for your share. Um, you talked a lot about acceptance. Was there, that when you weren't in that place when you first came in, I, I think you said, but as far as accepting reality, you know, life and life's term, um, was there a process that you can remember how you went from not accepting? Yeah. Everybody I complained to didn't give a shit. <laughs> Is what it came down to. And people would always say, uh, what are the three numbers again? The old page that the acceptance thing used to be on the doctor. Yeah. And it was, yeah. Uh, you know, it's the same thing with gossip. I found there were less and less people to gossip to. And my good friend John would say, we'd stop talking about people in the car. We had... Long, quiet rides home, it was terrible. <laughs> but again, it's, it's a process. It's part of a process. A lot had to do with my relationship, because uh, there are areas where uh, she's not interested. You know, she didn't want to talk about that, whatever. So, I, you know, you, hear, you can hear it a thousand times and not hear it, and a thousand first you hear it. But again, it's... It's powerless. You know, the definition of powerless. I am powerless over you, powerless over her. It just the light bulb goes on one day. For me, some people it flickers. I don't know. <laughs> Carol, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, thanks for your share. Um, do you struggle at all with procrastination? And if you don't, sort of a two-part, like your creative life, how do you work your program around your creative life to sort of support that and have you be with whatever higher power it is? Uh, what you be like? I, I'm, 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 yes and no. Sometimes I can't write what I'm writing, and I try, and I start writing something else. Or I go back and edit something that I wrote. But no, I don't think it's <coughs> procrastination. I think it'll, it's because it's not coming. So I try to do something else just to get the juices flowing. So you don't shame yourself on a regular basis? Don't shame myself? No. <laughs> that, I never tried that. Wait a minute. <laughs> Yes, Michael. Thank you. So, fears, you're aging gracefully. Very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. Very, very frightened. Very much so. Much more than I was for years when I was immortal. <coughs> but, I, I got, what's his name? On my shoulder, looking. But, I have rods in my shower now. Uh, I'm working with a cane. Uh, 
etc. And I am very vulnerable. And I see friends showing up with canes who didn't have one yesterday or on walkers who didn't have one yesterday. There's a lot, a lot of it. A lot of it. The older I get, there is more of it. But I still eat the same thing I'm supposed to eat. I travel the same way I'm supposed to travel. I'm taking advantage of, of lift more than I used to and uh, whatever. But I'm very, very fearful. But I know I got what I got. And it's like every other attitude I've learned here. What can I contribute? Because my last fall was really a, a rough one. And it was a stupid one. They're all stupid ones. I was turning around and, you know. I don't, so, I don't say, I don't get down on my knees and say, God, please don't let me fall today, or whatever it is. But I try to be more and more careful. I think I'm done. <laughs>